Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Well, hello and good morning and welcome to the latest edition of Into the Breach. I'm Brian O'Keefe and joined by my co-host Jenna Usenheimer. How are you, Jenna? I'm good. How are you, Brian? I am excellent. And our loyal listeners know that the last episode we taped, Jenna and I were both in the sunshine state of Florida, but we have both now returned to the Northeast Mid-Atlantic region. And <laughs> Jenna, uh, you you know, it, I, I wanted your view now after spending more time in yeah. Florida is to the Floridian lifestyle. If you could become adapted to pickleball and whatever else your parents are doing down there, if that if that seems like something you could get comfortable with. A hundred percent. I could retire tomorrow. It's amazing. These 55 and over communities are there's pickleball, there's tennis, there's a pro, there's bocce ball, there's game night, there's a big fancy pool, there's a cafe that'll serve you iced coffee and Diet Coke. I mean, I could get used to that lifestyle. I mean, I would have been enjoying it much more if I wasn't working 70 hours a week, but <laughs> I really enjoy it. That's for you're, sure. And what about ready, you? You have your reservation down for the 55 plus plays today, it sounds like. You are I do. ready to I'm go. getting in early. That's right. <laughs> That's no, right. Well, I was not there. in a 55. Yes, you're getting, maybe get a discount early, right? So yeah. <laughs> I was not yeah. in a 55 plus place, but it was very nice weather in Jacksonville and had a lovely time down there. Much better than, uh, than being in yeah. Northeast. In Jacksonville, where we were at, we had this like little lake behind us and there were these geese that would walk around like I mean they walked around in our driveway they walked around in our front yard it was just I don't know they were very uh very entertaining these geese and they were talking to each other all the time so I don't know I was just sort of amazed at how these geese were interacting with each other and wait but what was the alligator situation up there were there well I didn't go swimming in the pond obviously and I didn't see any geese you didn't see any unfortunate demise so um but but i heard you also had your own interaction with nature with a sloth in florida right i did so there's this place this is like john our guest i'm just preparing him but this is like the longest intro we've ever done because this is a really good story about the sloth um there's this like animal adventure like literally across the street from where my parents live so we went and we got a tour and we fed goats and cows and alpaca and llamas and we saw camels. And then I got to hold a sloth and he was really, really cute. And if anybody wants to see pictures, I have, I have pictures, I have videos, I have of me, I have of my mom. Anybody has any requests, I'm happy to send it around. Well, I, I have seen the photos, I will say to our listeners, and they are uh, adorable. And uh, <laughs> it's Jenna's going to go become a sloth farmer in Florida, I think is the bottom line of the story here. So, um, I mean, that sloth was so cute. I mean, <laughs> it was so cute. Well, his name was Dad. Very high for our guest today between geese <laughs> and sloths in Florida. But we are really delighted to have with us today uh, a friend of the pod, a friend of our practice, John McNally. He's the president and head of U.S. Underwriting at Palisade Insurance Partners. And John is going to be with us today to talk about his new venture uh, with Palisade and uh, all the amazing things that they are 
going to be looking forward to doing in transactional risk insurance. So thank you very much, John, uh, for joining us today. We're delighted to have you. Thank, thanks, Brian and Jenna. Really great to be here. You know, hard to compete with sloths, right? I mean, everybody, who doesn't love sloths? <laughs> right who doesn't love a sloth? I know. Incredibly well, well, and cuddly animal. I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure you'll be, you'll be great. Yeah, I think we'll our listeners our are in for a great podcast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, John. And um, perhaps, John, I, I, I think you know everybody in the industry, but for somebody who doesn't know you, maybe you want to just talk a little bit about your background in, in transactional risk um, and how, how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, happy to do that, Brian. And, um, you know, I, I think a, a lot of us think about the, the transactional risk space as something that's really been sort of post- uh, you know, global financial crisis. It's something in the last dozen years or so that has emerged and, and become, you know, a huge multi-billion dollar premium industry, both in the U.S. and, and globally. Uh, but I actually started working on it, uh, and tw- you know, almost 24 years ago, I, you know, with AIG in 1999, um, I was underwriting litigation insurance, and uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was kind of a um, you know, a, di- a different era of, of the, the transactional insurance world. Um, but, you know, I, I think of, and I also think, you know, Brian, of, of transactional insurance in, in really broad terms. So, you know, obviously the success of record warranty, you know, warranty indemnity insurance and tax insurance has been great for the industry. We've brought a lot of professionals in. We've, we've you know, really helped facilitate deals getting done. But, um, you know, I, you know, having started, outside those products and really working on contingent legal insurance, litigation insurance. I also think about environmental insurance, right? Access of indemnity insurance and, um, you know, tail insurance, runoff insurance, and and a lot of these other um, products that help uh, facilitate, you know, fund wind up and liquidation uh, insurance products uh, as, as part of that transactional world. So I actually probably have a broader definition than a lot of people in thinking about what are the types of ways we can help uh, facilitate transactions getting done. Great. Well, that's wonderful. And perhaps that's a good segue into uh, your new venture here, uh, Palisades, and what uh, what you're hoping to accomplish, what you're hoping to do here. So uh, maybe if you want to just give our listeners a little bit of background about uh, what you've been up to over the past year and um, uh, what you're looking to do with, uh, with your new venture here. Wait, but first let's figure out, how do we pronounce it? Is it Palisades, like Brian said, or Palisades? Like- Palisades. No, That's what I would think. So, okay, just making sure. Like um, like like the the fences used from in Roman and medieval times around around fortresses. It's um, the palisade, not not like the Palisades Parkway in, in New Jersey. Well, that's what. I was thinking, but that's much more meaningful. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's um, that's the idea is is um, is putting a, a a strong fence around risk. Right. This is where so, that came from. So, so, so palisade. So after you know. Again, I've had a long career doing this, you know, both um, underwriting uh, and broking rep and warranty insurance. I spent 11 years in London uh, with AIG and, and um, Beasley, uh, you know, underwriting. And then I was a broker for, for seven years as well. So I've actually seen uh, the products from a few different sides. And then a couple of years ago, I, I think the, the success of rep and warranty and, and tax insurance in the U.S., it actually, um, you know, got me thinking, you know, what else can we be doing? And, uh, and so I really saw, saw the opportunity to go back to where I started uh, in this industry with, with contingent legal and litigation insurance as a really interesting opportunity. So we've had all the success. We have you know, 25 or 30 insurers doing those other products uh, and you know, able to, to really 
impact you know most transactions that that want to be insured. Um, but but I, I saw a real deficit. There was a lack of capacity. There was a lack of expertise and and you know client demand and sometimes not even knowing about the existence of litigation insurance or contingent legal insurance. Um, but where they did, just the the demand really being um, you know out of pace with the availability and, and the expertise in the market. So I, I became very interested in wanting to create an underwriting agency uh, to to go and 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 bring some of that expertise. Something we could do globally um, because a, a lot of these deals are um, just like uh, traditional transactional insurance cross border. And so I was I was in the process of setting up an agency. I got connected. Uh, at that point, um, just over a year ago, with an investment manager um, that that is involved in the, uh, the the litigation finance space, that also wanted to have insurance as um, as, as a, an offering um, for its clients, but but more broadly as well, uh, because because obviously a lot of the the, the litigation funding and, and finance opportunities are ones that we're insuring. And so uh, in connection with this investment manager, we set up Palisade about a year ago and um, you know, just under uh, a year ago. And, and, and the idea is again, to be global um, so that we can ensure deals in the UK and Europe and eventually beyond in other parts of the world, as well as the US, which are the, the biggest markets um, you know, for, for, for litigation finance, but also the biggest areas of demand uh, for wanting to de-risk uh, litigation issues and, and sort of related risks in that space. So can you sort of give us an overview of, you know, how the underwriting process works and like, you know, is it how, how is it the same? How is it different from like a traditional reps policy? What kind of work product do you, are you looking for in submissions or in the underwriting process? What's the sure. pricing like? Can you sort of walk us through the whole? Yeah, and, and I, I think I'm, I'm happy to do that. I, I think that the short answer, Jenna, is that it's there. There are a variety of different, you know, products or solutions, if you will, with, that we call contingent legal insurance. So it means a bunch of different things, um, and and so um, one of those is adverse cost insurance, or what's called ATE insurance in the UK. It's primarily a, a UK product, and that's really about um, where where you're in a. a a common law jurisdiction where the loser has to pay winner's costs, it's insuring against those potential adverse costs. So that's a distinct product um, that, right. that we consider part of litigation insurance. The underwriting there is obviously very, very focused on single event uh, pieces of litigation and you know what are the likely outcomes and what are the likely costs and you know how much insurance are we gonna put in place relative to that. So that's one. A second big uh, area, and this is probably in the U.S., the one we're seeing mostly, is is what we started calling judgment preservation insurance, mm -hmm. and that's that's one that I think you know we when when certainly in the U.S. when we think about litigation insurance or contingent legal insurance, that's the one we're talking about. And again, that underwrite, you know, it's it's not a you know unlike rep and warranty insurance, where a lot of the focus is on financial statements and commercial issues that are you know captured historically by the reps. We're really focused on the merits of an individual, you know, piece of litigation, you know, whether on appeal or whether pre-appeal, whatever stage of the proceeding we're in. So it's it's litigation analysis. It's looking at, you know, what what are again, what are you know, what does liability look like? What do damages potentially look like? Uh, those are all parts of it. But but it can also be the structural piece of it. And and one of the big differences is we have to come up with in a lot of cases we have policy forms, but they're even more heavily manuscripted than what we see because sometimes you're feeding litigation insurance into a transaction, into an M&A deal, and how do we structurally make that work? In other cases, it's, it's standalone, and it's really about monetization of, of a judgment that is in hand. So 
I think that um, it's there. There are more moving pieces in some ways than than another transactional risk that we have to account for. And then I think the, the third big bucket of, of what we're doing is around portfolios. And, and this is for Palisade. This is really interesting, where you've got um, either uh, a specialty finance vehicle that has a portfolio of, of litigation uh, that that it's asserting. Uh, it could be a corporation, either on the the um, the plaintiff side or the defense side where they have a bunch of contingent legal assets that they would really like to be able to monetize a portion of. And so then you're looking at, you know, 150, 100, 200 uh, individual uh, claims or pieces of litigation. And so that's a different, you know, sort of thing that you're going to have to do where you've got that. Or it could even be a law firm, right? It could be a plaintiff's law firm, uh, again, that has, uh, has a portfolio of cases and it's trying to figure out how do we accelerate some of the income that we're going to see on, on these cases in the future, or how do we use insurance as a way of providing collateral for, for financing, for example, against uh, future proceeds out of some of those cases. So we're looking at uh, how do you underwrite across a portfolio? And in those cases, you know, it's as much underwriting the investment manager or the corporation or the law firm as it is the right. individual risk that, that we're looking at. And how does the pricing, like, how does it work? Is it sort of fixed? Is it fixed by product? Is it, um, do you set the pricing after the underwriting process, which would be very different than reps? How does it, how does that work? Sure. And I, and I think, um, again, just as there are very different products that we kind of put under this umbrella that we call contingent legal risk, the pricing varies a lot too. So the first right. one I talked about, ATE insurance, the rates online there, a lot of it is, is deferred and contingent. So as much as you can, you know, the rate online there can be 50%, but most of that's payable after a successful outcome. So that, that's a whole different pricing structure for, you know, right. for, for the other right. products, which are the main main part of this. Um, it, it is, um, you know, it is done like rep warranty or tax insurance where you're gonna get a non-binding um, set of terms from, from the insurer. Uh, you're gonna build towers the same way you do if it's a big risk, uh, you know, as, as you do with, with other, um, classes of transactional insurance. Uh, and then, you know, the, the client's going to hopefully have some optionality of, do I want to work with this insurer or that one as, as my primary or as my, my sole insurer on, on smaller risks? So there will be that up front. But, but again, I think because there are so many different things that fit into this, this bucket, right? Everything from fund liquidation and wind-up insurance to, um, to these portfolios, there, there's a big, a lot bigger uh, variety of pricing. There's some stuff that's really remote, right? There's some stuff where the likelihood of there being an adverse outcome is is hugely remote, and so the pricing can get pretty pretty cheap. You know, more more in line with other transactional risks. Other stuff, um, there there's you know a lot more risk of, of potential adverse outcomes, and so the pricing uh, is you know gets into the double digits pretty quick in terms of rate online. I don't know if that's helpful. If that's too general, but it's it's hard no. to be really. No, it's hard to be more specific. We get that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's it's very helpful and. Um, perhaps, John, too, in talking about those three buckets, and I know we've talked about this offline a bit um, in terms of, you know, will your new shop have, uh, you know, a particular focus on in, any of those or, or really trying to lean one way or the other? And then I know that we've talked uh, a bit about areas, especially with IP, where you think there's some opportunities as well to really expand the use of, uh, of, of this type of insurance. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I, Brian, it's, um, you know, we, when we set up, we, we one of the things we wanted to do is be able to, to really underwrite across all these different risk types. So as well as the, the jurisdictional point, I think, you know, there, there aren't a lot of insurers that have appetite thinking about one end of the spectrum, which is 
facilitating transactions. And for us, you know, we're not we're not competing with with rep and warranty insurers on, on a day to day basis. But there are some areas, as I said, fund fund liquidation or wind up insurance that we think is interesting. Um, and and so that's that's something that we do that not many have focused on. I think looking at distressed asset sales and sales out of bankruptcy is a really interesting application where where we would look to to underwrite things like rep and warranty insurance, but also uh, successor liability and fraudulent conveyance. So we're really focused on where where are we helping facilitate something getting done, and where is there a good alignment of interest? And so I think that's really important for us is that. Um, so some parts of this market, I think, have gotten away from, you know, is there an alignment between what the client is trying to accomplish and, and using the insurance? And I, I think that, um, so that that's, again, a broad way of thinking about it, but that's part of the focus. I think if, if you ask from a product perspective, again, I think the, the portfolios are an area where, given the way we're set up and, and our ability to, to look at, you know, broad portfolios of, of claims and litigation, be able to underwrite those. Uh, is is an area that hasn't really been done a whole lot, right? That hasn't been accomplished. And, and that, again, that can be capital protection for funds. And again, we want to see that there's an alignment between us and, and a fund that we may be uh, insuring, you know, on a, on a quota share basis. Um, but the same thing for, for corporations. I mean, corporations that need an earnings event and, you know, they're, they, they want to be able to monetize a portion of their contingent assets using insurance as a way of making something that's contingent, reasonable, and probable uh, is, is a is a really great benefit for them. They're you know they're hugely aligned in trying to get to that outcome. So I, I think that's that's critical for us. I think there's other parts of the market um, that that we're less interested in. You know I, I think patent litigation has been the single biggest source of this market um, over the last five years. And but even historic even going back 20 years, you know we were insuring uh, intellectual property and, and patent uh, risk. You know mostly on the defense side. I think that's that's the other thing. Is a lot of this has been preserving judgments or, or looking to, to judgments on the plaintiff side, we think that there's huge opportunity on the defense side that that we haven't captured as well as we could. So I think if if, if there's a message I'm going to leave people with, it's that, um, you know, we, we need to make sure that clients understand these products exist, but also that they can, they can help preserve things on the plaintiff side, but they can also help de-risk transactions. They can help, you know, release reserves on the defense side as well. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that, um, you know, we were at, I was at the at the plus conference recently and I, I was speaking on, on a panel there and there was a very prominent attorney uh, from Latham and Watkins who's an MA lawyer but was talking about how he thinks that there's a, a very big information gap in terms of other lawyers and, and other potential buyers just being aware of all the creative uses perhaps of um, contingent risk and, and some other things and uh, I sort of felt Gee, if people at Latham and Watkins don't know this, there's probably lots of people out there in the world who don't know this. Um, so I think that you know having this sort of education about this and talking, like you said, about portfolio risk and, and uh, you know just a lot of different ways that this sort of product can be effectively deployed in ways that it can you know help companies with larger capital goals. Um, I think that's just a, an area of tremendous growth beyond just uh, you know sort of the regular reps and warranty insurance which all of us are very familiar with right now. It, it has a feel for me, Brian, a little bit like where we were with the rep and warranty insurance market, you know, 12 years ago. So kind of coming out of the financial crisis, you know, <clears throat> M&A to a halt in, in 2008, end of 2008, 2009, and everyone was waiting for it to come back. And when it came back, it, insurers figured out how do we make these products work on, on most transactions instead of just a, a few. 
and and they avoided that adverse selection. So they they, they changed you know definitions of, of loss and and they figured out how to replace escrow more effectively. And and that those products took off. I, I feel like the, the whole contingent legal um, universe has that same sort of feeling that if we get it right, if we do a good job of educating clients, and, and by us I mean insurers, but brokers and, and lawyers and, and other advisors, you know, it's all of us, right? It's down to all of us to say, here's here's a you know, set of tools that maybe you haven't heard of, but in the right circumstances, they can be enormously helpful on, on your deal or to help you monetize something. So so I, I to me, it has that feeling. I mean, and, and obviously it's self-serving to say that because we've set up Palisade, but um, I think I think we're going to see the market really start to grow um, over the next five years. And, and by market, I don't just mean more insurers entering the space, which is going to happen, but I mean, um, you know, clients and advisors understand that there's this whole set of, um, of tools out there that they can help, you know, to help things get done. So before we move out of this, you know, very hard hitting substantive section of the podcast and into our game section of the podcast, is there anything you want to make sure you tell your, our listeners about, you know, Palisades or the product or anything that sets you apart from where the rest of the market is, or just any, any last note of importance that you want to make sure you say before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a couple of things in, in terms of the, the way we were set up, what was really attractive to me about forming Palisade in partnership was that we, we had um, access to, again, uh, uh, a group and, and a sponsor that helps us analyze risk. And, yeah. and so um, the ability to, to do things that haven't been done across portfolios and, and the ability to, to work with clients that haven't traditionally um, you know, had access to or use these products was, was really interesting. But you know, I, I think the, 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 to me, again, the other takeaway I would have is, is thinking about um, you know, what we're accomplishing. And it's, it's either facilitation of, of deals, facilitation of, of um, you know, companies and and uh, and funds and others trying to get something done and it's monetization. And and I think that when clients start to understand, okay, here's what I can accomplish with it, um, that they're going to start to figure out it's really going to be them driving what these products look like in three or four or five years' time. And so um, the the other thing that I would say that you know always occurs to me is as much as we think we're leading the innovation side of it, a lot of that innovation is going to come from clients. So I'm excited to to hear you know, what they want us to accomplish, what are the problems they want us to solve. And I think if we're doing our job, then we figure that out, right? Between us and, and you and and and, um, and the brokers that, you know, all have really important roles in this. And you have to figure out, you know, what are this new set of problems that the clients are going to want us to solve? And that's what's exciting. I mean, I think if anyone wants to be in this, in this field, what, what should excite them is, you know, how do we do things in a different way, right? Whether that's how do we, you know, put rep warranty insurance on SMEs? That's an interesting problem to solve. And, and for me, you know, trying to solve this, how do we, um, how do we find ways of, you know, of allowing clients to more efficiently deal with litigation or, you know, even monetize it um, is is an exciting problem that I don't think has really been solved very well. So that, that's that's to me what's exciting about, it. and that's why I think the growth of these is, is likely to be really really significant. Great. Great. Okay. Well, we certainly agree and we're excited to watch you grow and succeed. Okay. So we won't put you on the spot and ask who your favorite underwriting counsel is because we all know the answer to that. <laughs> how, how could it not be? Uh, how could it not be Cyclone, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, okay. So we're going in now to once more under the breach. It's our quick hits. We ask the same 
two questions to everybody. And then the third is a mystery fun question. So the first question is what is the biggest risk you think we're going to see in the transactional risk market in the next 12 months? Yeah, I, so so th that's a great question. And I, and I think it's that um, the, the concern is going to be growth. I'm going to give you two answers. I always had, you know, whenever anyone wants on it, one answer, I always give two. I think one is growth. And I think the real problem, you know, it's gone backwards, obviously, in, in 22 from 21, which is a record year. And so that was that was inevitable. But I just think the kinds of, you know, 30 or 40 percent percent annual growth that people got used to uh, in that market over the last 10 years is, is no longer achievable. So I think the number one yeah. issue is how do we deal with growth? And I think the second thing is going to be the inevitable outcome of that is going to be margins and profitability. And, and you know, when growth starts to, to go down and you've got a lot of capacity, it's going to be how do insurers, you know, maintain their margins, which have historically been great in the transactional world when competition heats up that way. So I think those are the two biggest changes. And maybe we're going to see the market start to exit, right? We've only seen entrances uh, for the last, you know, since since 2014 or 15, the market has blossomed. And, and now I think the question is, um, you know, how, how do those dynamics change? Right. Okay. And then what is a piece of career advice that you would give someone who might be interested in working in this space? And you can answer like for someone who wants to start their own shop like you or any other, any other way you want to interpret that question, we'll, we'll accept the answer. Okay. Well, thanks. I mean, and, and again, I've, I've done this a long time and I, and I think um, I, I've been really fortunate because I've gotten to work on deals from Japan to Sweden to Brazil, uh, as well as a, a ton of them in the U.S. historically. Um, so the, the, I was, I was thinking about this and I think the, the best piece of advice is, you know, to, to get into this industry um, is you, you've got to be able to say, what are the things, what, where are the, the problems that, that need to be solved? And do I have some way of, of sort of effectuating resolution of those? So, you know, and, and I think there's a lot, like, how do I, how do I figure out, you know, maybe it's the world of distress that's going to be interesting for me, or maybe it's going to be, how do I, how do I bring these complex specialty products into the, SME space. So I think there's lots of problems to be solved. And I think if someone really wants to have the, the people who've been successful and the people who've had fun in this area of insurance are the ones that have recognized here's a problem, whether it's distribution or or product design that needs to be solved. And you know, what are my ideas around solving that? And so I think that's to me, that's what's fun and that's what's exciting and that's what's gonna lead to a long career. Good advice. Right. Well, yeah, I think we both agree with that. And I think that we've also been very attracted to sort of the, the problem solving uh, angle on this. So, okay, John. So the, the third and final question, this is our mystery question. John does not know, know what the question is going to be. This is where we have- Oh, exciting. Now, now, John, you were having some uh, a kumbaya moment about uh, the brokers and the underwriters and the outside council, all of us working together. And Jenna and I have that same spirit and have um, many uh, positive relationships with uh, many brokers um, in this industry. But we want to ask you the question, given that you have both been a broker and now you're an underwriter and you used to be an underwriter, uh, which is the, the, the preferred role in this industry? Which job do you kind of like best? Do you like being an underwriter more? Do you like being a broker more? Uh, we'll give you some true serum here that, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can come down on the other side if you want to. Well, always know there's this competition between the brokers and the underwriters. So we're curious as somebody who's done both where you kind of land at. Well, the, the easy answer to that, Brian, is that 
if you're if you've both been an underwriter and a broker, you're going to be better at your job, whichever you end up doing, right? So I, I think if you've been an underwriter, become a broker, you're going to be well, better so, broker uh, for having that experience. And and the same thing on on the underwriting side. So you know the answer today is I'm I'm certainly um, excited about being back on the underwriting side. I think we we have we're in a better position to be able to to really you know as I said, going back to, to having fun sort of solving the problems. I think we can have a bigger impact right now. On the underwriting side, because there, there's probably less, you know, availability uh, than than on the other side. But and I'd never rule out a, a future return. But I, I think um, that that's, you know, right. I've been an underwriter longer than a broker, and it's um, I'm I'm certainly having fun with it right now. Great. Well, I think that that's a wonderful way to end end as well, John. And I think that uh, it's very obvious you have a lot of enthusiasm around this, and we're just delighted to watch this uh, take off in. Um, you know, wish a, a lot of success to you. So if there's any brokers or uh, buyers of the product or anybody in the audience who wants to get in touch with you, what's sort of the best way to, to go about doing that? Yeah, so so we're, our, our website um, is, is an easy way, easy way to do it uh, at Palisade Insurance and our contact information is on there as well. And um, as, as, we're, as we're getting uh, up and running uh, th this month, and, and getting deals done um, will be certainly out in the press as well. So uh, I look forward to, to people reaching out, easiest to reach us by website and email. Uh, so it's jmcnally at palisadeinsurance.com. Okay, great. great. Well, awesome. you, will be, you will be inundated now. So you'll have to change the email address. There'll be so many after this podcast. So, okay. but well, thanks so much, John. We really appreciated having you on today. Uh, this was a really great discussion about a very timely and important topic. And uh, again, we just wish uh, your new venture all, all the best. And I look forward to uh, seeing success from you in the near future here. Thank you. Great catching up with both of you. Thanks. Of course. Great. Well, thank you. And so, Jenna, we uh, got for another one. I don't, I don't know if it was as exciting as holding the sloth or not. Maybe you'll you know, reserve that judgment for later so we don't hurt anybody's feelings here. But, um, you know, it was another wonderful podcast. It was. Thank you. I, I will just say John was not eating sweet potatoes or apples that were cut in like very particular shapes. So I don't know. It's a close call on the cuteness factor. That's for sure. Well, if you, you should have told him that from the beginning. He may have, you know, <laughs> he may have taken steps. Yeah. So that's an unfair criticism. But uh, well, thank you everybody for uh, for tuning in for another episode of Into the Breach. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.
In no way, shape, or form is the guest during this podcast offering legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations.